Welcome to Hey Girl. I'm your host, Bill Janice. Join me every week where I sit down with one of my amazing and talented friends who are experts in their field, and we have a little chat. All right, welcome to this episode of Hey Girl. I am your host, Bill Janice, and today we have a very exciting show for you. I am joined by a really fabulous and wonderful person and talent. She is a professional trader, portfolio manager, investment advisor, representative, world-class athlete, Goldman Sachs executive, president and CEO of LGBTQ Invest, and host of Catherine and Company on Power 98.5 Satellite Radio. I am so thrilled to welcome Catherine Swain to the Hey Girl family. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. How are you? <laughs> I didn't mind that on my Hey, girl. That was perfect. It was perfect. I, I mean, think I was what? just overwhelmed oh. by, the, by the bio. I'm like, whoa, that's quite a resume. Who's, who is this? Bitch? Honey, that's you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this girl? Who's she? <laughs> it's you. I mean, honestly, yeah, I want to start right there. Like that, I have never, I've never had the privilege of be reading that many credits to, uh, uh, so bravo and i'm 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 honored to have you i can't wait to talk about everything we're going to talk about but this is just so impressive like i mean when you hear it like how does it feel like when you hear that like read back to you you know it's so funny so i mean we can talk a lot about this but i worked in the business for um almost 30 years well yeah thir- almost 30 years it'll be 30 years next year and a lot of the time. So you started when you were two years old? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean. She's like, yes, yeah, yes. Exactly. I was, I was exactly. three. I was very precocious. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny is that that resume, um, which 100% legit. I mean, I, you know, um, it, you didn't even get into it. You know, we had in the 90s, I handled the Saudi royal family account and a, a number of presidential families, wow. their personal money. And when I went to go put that on my on my bio like a lot of firms are like no 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 you're going to hold on to that one because it makes our portfolio managers look bad <laughs> you know cuz you have more really? experience that you know in your seniors than 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 they do and so i have never really oh. been able to use that bio up until now oh honey I know. no we're yes we're, we need to we are using it honey <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my gosh so I'm really thrilled to to be able to talk to you today. I I, I think all of us need um, it, you know assistance and guidance and uh, advice when it comes to financial planning. Right. Um, I I I know, girl. I know I do. I've got my notepad here. I'm ready to take some notes on everything that you say. But I mean, first, let's just start a little bit more about you. I mean, how did you? Have you always had a passion for this kind of work? And and how did you? How like what were some of the early days like? Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, it's funny. I actually started, so, so the, I was, I was having, um, a conversation with one of my clients and we were having the, you know, what was the market doing back in the early nineties conversation. And I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And so I, when I was in college and all my friends were waking up at noon and finding their way to class and going out to parties on a right. Monday night, I was waking up at 6am and going into an office, even though I had a full mm-hmm. full schedule of classes. And so I just never yeah. really gave myself that time to just 
just be, you know, in your early 20s. And so, which was mm-hmm. great because by the time I was 25, I was already doing amazing things in, in London and, and you know, talking to some of the most amazing, you know, world traveler, money manager, you know, uh, I mean, just the, the list of people that I was exposed to very early was was bizarre. Right. And so anyway, I, you know, I, I wanted to start in the industry and kind of get ahead. My, my family, um, <clears throat> my parents split up when I was very young and my mom wasn't always great with money. So the, my brother and I, we grow up, we both went into finance because it was sort of a little trauma for us as kids, like sure, worried about sure. money. How do we need to take care of our lives so that we can not get into the situation that our family did earlier? And so mm-hmm. it was almost like a necessity, really. I love that. Well, okay. So wait, first though, not not to digress, but you mentioned that you didn't get to have your crazy, fun party college days, but I think we should pop some champagne for this oh my God. interview. You know what's funny? Thank you for <laughs> And we can that. start drinking now. I was already like, this is getting very serious. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, girl, this is a Hey Girl show. We can drink on this show. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's it's also, you know, we're doing this like after hours. So, you know, hey, yeah. after hours, we can do anything we want. <laughs> we can do anything we want. Cheers, girl. Cheers. We'll get there. I'll get there. Oh, honey, I know. Oh, my gosh. So where was, where did you grow up? Remind me. Um, I know you're in Lo- living in Los Angeles now, but where did you grow up? Um I actually grew up in a little tiny town. Uh, um, at the time, it was four hours north of San Francisco. Uh, it was called Mendocino. Oh, okay. Uh, have you ever okay. heard of Mendocino? I no. haven't. So, you know, Mendocino, we had, there was 1,100 people in the whole town. The high school had 150 kids. And so it was one of those tiny little towns that everybody knew everything about you and everything about you've ever you, done. Yeah. So. Literally, there was just nowhere to go. And by the time you got to eighth grade, ninth grade, you were like, I got to get out of here. And so I did go to high school in in the city. I'm from San Francisco. We call it the city. Um, Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Let's see. Yes, girl. (gasps) Oh, I love it. (laughs) Okay. Yes. So, yeah. So I I moved to the city and then... um, um, but it was it was it was an experience having grown up in such a tiny tiny little town, um, and then going to the city and just having a completely different experience. And um, and then mm. finally, I went to college on the East Coast. I went to the University of Maryland in Washington D.C., which was a whole another okay. experience. Because um, I'm a yeah. West Coast girl, born and raised, San Francisco, yeah. Mendocino, L.A. Yeah. What was what, what? I mean, I know you mentioned in college you you were just hustling and working, work, yeah. work, work. But like, what was the you know? I mean, I know, I know for at least my experience. You know, I, I grew up in the Midwest, right. and then I've traveled a lot, and I've lived in uh, in New York, I've lived in Vegas, I've lived in Los Angeles. So I sometimes feel like that that I don't know if I want to say culture shock, but it's definitely a different culture, societal culture on both coasts, and they're polar opposites, and yeah. sometimes. When I I remember back in 2016 uh, to 2018, I had been living over here for about 15 years, and then I went back to New York for two years for for uh, for work, and then and I just remember, people, I had kind of I think I'd forgotten about how different the culture was because it had been so long, you know, and I just remember the first couple times where I was 
harshly reminded how different it was <laughs> by the by the way people were talking to me or interacting right. with me and they're like oh you lived in vegas for 15 years so they didn't take me seriously yeah. you know what i mean it's funny you know it's funny the, the one thing i'll say because i mean I went, I went to the university of maryland in washington dc but most of my friends are from new york i mean new jersey and yeah and long island and that area um and maybe sort of upper pennsylvania and the one thing I'll say about them is they were all kind of gruff. When I first met them, they 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 tell it like it is. You know, they are they're mm-hmm. they don't sugarcoat things. Um, but I will say, so that's the key difference. In San Francisco, everybody's very polite. Um, and they're quietly mm-hmm. telling you to 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 keep walking. Um, but the, right. the flip, flip side is New York, people are rude, 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 rude. But you know what? Hearts of gold. They'll do anything for you once you get to know them. And that is the key difference for me and the folks that that I knew on the East Coast. Um, just just yeah. one my favorite people in the world are all on the East Coast. Absolutely. So just to kick this financial conversation off, you know, what um what are some tips that you have for uh somebody who's maybe at the beginning of that mm-hmm. that journey? Somebody who is maybe potentially even living still living paycheck to paycheck, right. um, but knows that they want to want to be financially responsible, knows right. that they want to prepare for retirement or set themselves up even obviously in a better situation before even retirement. Right. Um, you know, what what are things that they can do other than just saying, oh, I have a savings account. Right. Like what what are some some tips uh, that you could offer us to, to get started? Right. So, you know, what's funny. And that's the, the, the thing is so funny about this is that most people in their 20s think that, um, you know, they can start later that, oh, well, I'll just save mm-hmm. when I actually have some income that I can that it's ex- excess income. Right. So we always think that that day is going to come yeah, when we have just an abundance of, of expendable income. I mean, right? I think when yeah. I first my very first job, I made twenty seven thousand dollars a year. That was my first salary. And so yeah. I remember thinking, because at that time, that wasn't even a lot of money um, a long time ago. Right. Um, but I remember thinking to myself, uh, and, you know, the general rule of thumb is that you should save 10% of your income and you put that on, aside. Now, the nice thing about a 401k at work is, is that that money comes out before you ever see it. So it's kind of like a forced right. savings program. Um, but a lot of people, because they looked at their expenses, they said, you know, my rent's a thousand bucks a month, or maybe it's like 3000 now. Um, and then they, they quickly did the math on their budget and they went, wow, I have nothing left. Well, what, what's yeah. true though, is that if you do the deduction before you ever live on that money, there's a great chance you'll continue with that savings program. It's the people who, let's say they take 100% of their income, and then a year or two or three years later, they say, okay, I'm ready to start a savings program. Let me take 10% or or hopefully 15% of my income, put it into a 401k or an IRA or whatever vehicle I have available to me at that time. And then that's where it becomes difficult because they kind of got Mm -hmm. used to that money. And so, so when it comes to saving early versus later, that's that's the game. That is what it's all about because the power mm-hmm. of compounding. I mean, you know, I've been doing this for, like I said, 30 years and I've watched people save and invest and, and make the right decisions and the right allocations and rebalance and do all the things they should do to be stable. The best thing they could have ever done. It was already w- way in the rear view mirror. The best thing they could have done wow. was when they were 25 just take, mm-hmm. you know, and I and I want to say that it was a hundred bucks a month. I, I did a I did a someone else's show a while back, and I gave them an example, which is, 
at age 20. I actually heard this clip yeah. and I loved it. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Yeah, is it, yeah. You know, at age 25, if you put 100 bucks away a month, right? So $1,200 away a year, you know, it's like basically the cup. It's like a, a Starbucks coffee once a day. Um, mm-hmm. And you did that every month for your entire life. Not a lot of money. We're talking 100 bucks a month. Um, at the right. end, when you're 65, it's a million dollars. And it's funny because if you wait just 10 years, so instead of doing it at 25, you do it at 35, instead of $100,000, excuse me, a million, you have 360,000. So it's those last- That's a huge gap. Yeah. Yeah. And those last 10 years, the compounding effect, that's when the benefits come. And so it's hard to convey to somebody, you're 25, you're fabulous, you've just Mm -hmm. got your first career job. Now let's go ahead and take all the fun out of it. <laughs> you know, we're, right. we're gonna we're gonna take all of your money and we're gonna save it from when you're 65 right. and not fabulous. You know, right? <laughs> the, the way you say it, it's perfect. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that I mean that makes a lot of sense. Right. Um, and then and then of course you know if you have a job, often um, your employer and this is. I mean, most employers do this, which is they will offer a matching savings program. And it's usually 3%, 6%, something like that. So what that says is the first 3% of your income that you put away, they'll match it. And then some firms even go up to 6%. So that means that if you just take 6% of your money, you're actually getting a 12% deduction. But you're only paying for six of it in a typical. I mean, my first company they gave and a matching um, right program. So yeah, so imagine yeah. you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, let's say for argument's sake, and you're going to take ten percent okay. out per year. So that's ten thousand um, so, dollars. Mm-hmm. So well, you know, well, let's just make the math easy. Let's say it's five percent, right? So it's five grand. Well, most companies will give you another five thousand just right off the top to right. incentivize you to save that money. And so if you have a company like that, you must, must, must take advantage of that. And I'm shocked the number of people who don't. Like, do you have a company yeah. match? Yes. Do you use it? No. That's free money. Wow. Free money. And you're missing Yeah, it. totally. Yeah. So you mentioned um, uh, IRAs uh, and certificates and different vehicles. Yeah. So do you mind if I ask you um, uh, about that? You know, what are, what are the... Um, and maybe it's different for each individual. Right. Um, but you know, what do you, what do you what is your take on IRAs versus uh, certificates uh, versus uh, investment trading, stock markets? Uh, like, where where do we where's the best place to put our money right now in 2022? Right. Well, so first off, there's a key difference between um, a retirement savings vehicle and an individual sort of place to put your money. So we have a savings account. You have a, a brokerage account, a bank account. Um, even an insurance account in some cases. And what you can put inside of those accounts can be anything. It can be stocks, bonds, crypto. It could be certificates of deposit, anything. Um, however, when you open up with, and there's a, there's what they're called qualified retirement accounts. They can be 401ks, IRAs, SEP, Roth IRA. All of these fall under the umbrella of qualified. And what that means is, is all of the growth of the money inside of that account until you take it at retirement, is growing tax deferred. So you're not paying Ooh, any taxable gains along the way. So bef- so 
it's so funny because people say, well, should I buy Bitcoin or should I buy, you know, Amazon stock or should I buy Ford Motor Company or oil companies are, are hot right now? And the answer is, yeah, don't do anything like that. The first thing you need to do is just get it in the right structure because the tax benefits of compounding without paying capital gains is the game. Right? I mean, I can't I can't I cannot equivalent. Uh, excuse me, I cannot make an equivalent return that you can get on mm-hmm. a tax free basis. I can't. I mean, I mean, we might get lucky here and there, but, right. you know, I mean, let's, right. let's not go crazy. <laughs> now, when you do now, when you do start making withdrawals um, from that, then you pay tax at that time. Yeah. But so here's the great thing about that is that often when you're putting away the most in your lifetime is usually not when you're 25 and you're making 27,000 mm-hmm. a year like I was, but it's usually when you're right. when you're 45. And that's like the usually the top or 45 to 50 is the top arc of someone's earnings potential in their lifetime. Statistically, this is true, mm-hmm. um, which is mm-hmm. a little terrifying when you get to 50 because now all of a sudden the, the odds are against, the statistics are against you. The six are against <laughs> you. Yeah, you think that you've already peaked right. at Everybody least financially. Right. <laughs> Right. So, or they're just going to keep uh, ascending yeah, to a higher uh, salary. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so, but the, the thing about it is, is that if you then take that. So think about your marginal tax bracket. So someone who, who's like a rock star and they make 200000 a year, let's say you're in the top one of the top marginal tax brackets. So you might be paying over 30 percent of your excess income in taxes. Um, and so often you see people might I had doctors, attorney, you know, attorneys and especially business owners, they in, in the San Francisco, they were paying as much as 50% of their total income into taxes. They, wow. they had one of the highest marginal tax rates, including, you know, local, state, uh, uh, and- Sure, you know, sure, so, and federal. Yeah, yeah, right. So anyway, so the trick is <laughs> when you are 65 and you've stopped working and your marginal tax rate goes way, way down, that's when you're taking the money out of those retirement accounts. So by not- realizing that income at age 40 and 45 and 50, you're actually getting an additional tax benefit when you take it out at 65 and 70 and 75. So there's a lot of incentive because you're getting the, you're basically playing the tax arbitrage over the course of your lifetime. Now it's so hard to keep people, you know, focused on this type of um, big picture stuff because Mm-hmm. Often you're saying, "Hey, I'm going to set something up for you, and you're going to love it in 20 years' time." And you know, right? People want to do. People respond to what's in front of them at the moment. Exactly. They're, they're, it's rare. I mean, I think right now, just even culturally, we all have ADD. You know, like just even in me- even in media, we're so used to just scrolling, scrolling, right. next video, whatever. Right. So, so I I get that. I think it's yeah. I can understand that that would be hard to get people to think big picture, Absolutely. especially when it comes to something as. Imp- which is kind of you know uh, a catch twenty two because it's it's something that is very clearly important. Finances are important; right. it's our livelihood. But it's but then on the same token, it's like it's hard to explain to somebody who maybe doesn't feel like they have a a lot of additional income right. to put any of it away. Right. You know what's funny, and and you actually really, you you got me thinking about something. And one of the reasons why I started my company, and and I start my, the name of my company is LGBTQ Invest. And the idea behind Mm -hmm. it was I wanted to create a safe, positive, and empowering space for folks within the community to be able to to ask simple questions, to be able to come and feel seen as they are. Um, And let's be honest, I mean, 80% of of the industry financial advisors are are men. And the vast majority of those are 
you know, a lot of them are, are white guys who voted for Trump. And so right, right. creating a safe space for that community mm-hmm. to be able to go in and just just be seen and yeah. provide investment advice and financial planning advice that isn't in the structure. I mean, the financial planning, uh, I actually took a, a continuing education recently, and it was so funny because every single exercise that we did was about there's a husband who's 54 and the wife is 48 and they've got two kids and they're going to retire this day. And it was like this kind of cookie cutter of of a planning structure. And so many times when I when I talk to my trans girlfriends or when I talk to my gay friends, you know, their lives do not follow the same path that a lot of other folks right. do. And right. so when when I say, hey, just start at 25 and when you're 65, that money will be there. Um, that's part of, that's the, I mean, that's part of it, which is you cannot rely on a nuclear binary household, you know, that this is going, you know, um, and so, so I really wanted to create a a financial planning program that, that, that talked to those folks that saw them where they were at and said, we're going to build a financial plan for you. And so, so, so understanding the client and how different they are was the first thing for me. And, and, and I, I said, you know what? Nobody's doing this. No one is mm-hmm. really focusing on our community. Um, and if, you know, might as well be me. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I never thought of it that way either, but the way you explained it makes perfect sense. We, you know, people in our community don't live that stereotypical, um, life, uh, which also is included in potential career path, potential family, um, that you're building. Um, so why would you follow the same structure, um, if your life is not structured that way and there's an additional it's i'm having this huge aha moment and i'm loving it exactly (laughs) and so here's the other thing about being within the community is that often you didn't have that sort of like late adolescent early 20s you know guidance from your parents from 100 percent. because you know what a lot of times they're not interested in your life anymore or they're just not in your life and so right often when i work with folks within the community that there is a gap for them with financial mm-hmm. knowledge because for a mm-hmm. lot of us we didn't get the here's what here's how a mortgage works and here's how a savings account right. works and here's how a retirement account works and here's how to sub a checking account all that stuff is often you know basically from within our own families you know our our adopted right. families that are our the, chosen family exactly. yeah and so mm-hmm. that was the other part of it which is to say you know what we need to fill the space in for an educate, you know, because here's the thing: I used to work with, you know, people who had. Uh, I mean, one of my biggest clients had 700 million at one point in his account yeah. with me, and then to go talk to someone who's 25 that says, "Hey, I'm thinking about putting away 100 dollars a month." It's a very different conversation, but sure, it yeah. does not make it any less important because that that act when you're 25 will make all the difference when you're 45 and 50. Yes. Because even if you know, like. You know, often when, when, you know, you get to a point in your life where things change and relationships end, you also might have that money as like your backup. That's the backup money. And your safety net. Yeah. Because yeah. we don't really have, I mean, I don't have a family of safety net. I just don't. 
Girl, me neither. No, <laughs> no, and I, I. Oh, that's no, and it's so true because I mean, I just to me personally, yeah. When I was in my late teens and early twenties, I was, um, I moved away from home and didn't have really any support. And I was, um, right. I was a you know a professional dancer. I was in New York. I was even homeless at one point. Um, so yeah, I I've definitely had those thoughts as I've gotten older, where I do sometimes I feel a little cheated, right. <laughs> where I'm like I didn't have didn't have that guy. Nor not only not only the guidance, but neither did I ever have a safety net, and I felt like I started my adult life in the negative, right? Type vibe, you know. Yeah. Um. So, on that, we talked about starting to save in your twenties. Let's talk about if you wait a little, if you wait a little longer. Let's say you're in your forties, maybe even into into your early fifties. What what is the what is the advice to get started then? Is it is it the same? Just putting a hundred dollars away a month, or what? What are you, what are your thoughts? No. Be, How do we catch up? Well, the first you off, know? so the first off, and you know it's so funny. The first thing that we do, and this is going to sound a little morbid, but the first thing we do um, in that initial discovery meeting, especially with someone in their mid forties, because that's when often the conversations begin. Um, right. Which is to say, tell you start me. taking life a little bit more seriously at that point, yeah. at that age, right? I mean, that's what, that is honestly yeah. when the calls start. I, I, I never talked about. In their thirties. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not to say that I yeah. do all the time, but not professionally, because most of the advice someone who is twenty-five or thirty or thirty-two is going to get from me, I'm going to do it for free because mm-hmm. there's just either not enough incentive for me to to go through all the steps to to build out that portfolio, but I will get I them see. to where they need to go and say you you save your money. You know, it it mm-hmm. doesn't need to be managed every day. Now, what happens is the closer you get to that destination date. And when I say destination, I mean, this is the day when you do not want to be working anymore. And you might Mm -hmm. go work in a gallery, or you might donate your time, or you might, you know, uh, you know, be involved in a charity or, or, you know, part of, you know, one of our, you know, um, activist community organizations, all of those things Mm -hmm. are your next job, right? So if you're working at a bank today, and you say, can't wait to get out of this job, do you have the financial resources to go get that lower paying job later on? Because that's what we're going to try and do. So we're going to first back our way out of that date. So if you tell me I'm 45 and I want to have be done with this career by 65, that's our 20-year time frame. And so now we can start to build out the type of investments to reach us to that goal. Because the closer we get to the objective, the more... Um, involved it becomes because what happens is Mm -hmm. is that when you look historically at the markets if you give the market a 20-year time frame meaning that you put your money in today and then you want to take it out 20 years from now it's it's a it's higher almost 100 percent of the time so it's only happened like once or twice in all of history where you put your money in and 20 years later it wasn't up from where you put it in i see um sure sure but when you go to excuse me (laughs) when you go to 10 years that number starts to get, become a little more dicey, but still it's in the 90 percentile. So now when you go to okay. five years, meaning that I'm going to put my money in today and in five years, I'm going to get it out. So imagine you're 60 and you want to pull that money, start pulling the money out at 65. All of a sudden the, re- the results are all over the place. And so we do these um, game theories to look at- Just because it's depending on where the market is. Yeah, I mean, imagine, such a short time. imagine you were 60 in 2008. You know, if you were 60 in 2008, five years later, it's 2013, the S&P 500 at the top, I want to say was 1,500. And at the bottom, it was 700. 
So along oh, the way, so you, you've you've lost half your money in a, in the first two or three years in the 08 crisis, and even by 13, you were still at 1,200 on the S&P. So from 15 to 1,200, and that was a five-year outcome. That's pretty exceptional. And so what we're mm-hmm. trying to do is if you if you are 2013 or your age 65 is definitely where you're going to pull that money out, there's a lot of things that mm-hmm. I can do to try and manage the risk to get you in the game without having the, oh my gosh, I just lost half my money and I'm about to turn 65. What do I do now? And so we are mm-hmm. getting to that phase where we've had one of the greatest bull markets in history. And a lot of folks who are getting to close to the destination date, when they're going to retire, when they're going to do that next career. And those folks could potentially be about to lose half their money if some of the historical uh, metrics still hold. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. But let, let's say it did, that that very well could be the case. Mm-hmm. So the closer you get to your wow. day, whatever that target mm-hmm. date is, the more you need to kind of, as they say, choke up on the bat a little bit. And that's what I help people do. So I started in early 90s. I was a, I was a broker at Merrill Lynch mm-hmm. um, in, in Rockville, Maryland. And I was from San Francisco, Mendocino, too. And so I decided I really wanted to come home. And so I moved to San Francisco. And this, at that time, was the, the world headquarters for Schwab. And I got a job at Merrill and literally going out as a salesperson and sitting at people's kitchen tables and, and just sitting with them and, and, and having them just share their financial story and their life story. Because mm-hmm. a financial story mm-hmm. is always a life story. It's never just here's about the money. It's always, you know, here's where I'm from and here's what's important to me and here's my spouse and my kids and my family and my parents and all the, all the responsibilities sure. I have. So the first thing that I had to learn was to be a good listener. The first thing I did. So um, I, you know, and in, in when anybody comes to LGBTQ Invest, the first question is, tell me who you are, tell me what you're trying to accomplish, and then we will start to back into a plan based on who you are. And so I've been mm-hmm. doing this long enough that I don't have cookie cutters anymore. I have models that we build out, but each portfolio is really tailored to that client's unique needs because in our community, no one's a cookie cutter. No one falls into the mom and dad and kids and, and grandkids and, and off we go. It's just it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And so um, after having done kind of that sales role, I became a professional trader. I, I went to Schwab and spent about four years working with, at that time, the Saudi royal family. Um, I guess I can say this now. It's been long. Eh, I don't know if it's a good idea for me to say this, but a presidential family of a very famous um, Middle Eastern country, um, as well as okay. bankers and, and NBA franchise owners. And I worked with a lot of folks. Um, and that was mm-hmm. my, it was amazing because I was in my 20s and I had a, effectively a front row seat to people who were really good at this. I mean, and when I say mm-hmm. I handled all those really big accounts, these people basically had their own family office. Imagine you had $50 million and you didn't want to hire, you know, an advisor like me today. Mm-hmm. You created your own office. And then so what those yeah. folks did was hire me to be their professional trader. Um, rather than going and hiring their own trader, let's use the resources that Schwab has available and then and we'll work with Catherine. And so that was my experience. And so when I was when I left that, I basically became an investment advisor and working with individuals um across all you know um 
uh, sort of values from, you know, basically I'm in my 20s and I'm looking to save for retirement to I've got 700 million and let's, you know, let's build out a, um, a, hedge, a hedging program. Mm-hmm. So, oh, anyway, answer your question. So anybody comes, we will evaluate the existing positions in their account. We will assign a risk value because that's one of the biggest things that people don't understand is that when the market's going up, everything looks great when you own Amazon and Tesla and Apple and Facebook and, and the list goes on and on. But often when the market stops going up, those types of stocks tend to get beat up the most because they're the, they, were, they did the mm. best on the way up and often means they do the worst on the way down. And so we're getting, mm. and you know, who knows if the market's going to go down tomorrow, but we are getting statistically late into the game in terms of, you know, these types of periods in, in market history. You know, how often do you get a 13-year bear, uh, bull market rally? It just almost never happens. It's never, I mean, it's not never happens. Maybe in the 1950s, that was the last time this happened. Mm-hmm. So um, now we are looking at this and thinking, you know, there might be a time soon that we w- should start thinking about being being a little um, conservative. I see. So help me understand, forgive me, uh, you, you just mentioned bull market. Uh, yeah. what, what was that you said? Sorry, uh, I don't uh, know what that bull, is. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're going to go way back. <laughs> so a bull market says... I, I mean, I can cut this part no, out, but I want to understand what it is so I can ask an educated Honey, question. You are, this is why we are here. I love it. <laughs> mm. Yes, let's take a drink. I need to drink Yeah, too. so Ooh. why you mm. do that. So um, a, a bull market is considered any period in time where the market rises in value without a 20% correction. So that means that from any point in time to any other point in time, did the market go down less than 20%? If it did, great, bull market's still in place. If the market goes down greater than 20%, then it's now officially a bear market. And then until the market reaches a new high, excuse me, uh, yeah, or actually, I think it, I don't. I take the back. It's all, all I have to do is to start going back up again, and we'll start the clock again. And so I see. So what we tend to have is historically, you get bear markets every two point two years. And just to give you an mm-hmm. idea, since two thousand and eight, we've had one, two, and then just recently three. So three in thirteen years. So we are statistically way, 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 way outside of the norm. And um, I so see. yeah, so a bear market is what we're all concerned about, and, and technically. About three weeks ago, we had a maybe maybe five weeks ago we had a bear market that that quickly reversed itself. Um, yeah. So speaking of then talking about where we are right now, yeah, like in just uh, the economy, the market, are we headed for a recession? <sighs> See, you know, it's funny. I I because I so so the answer is we're already in a recession. So a recession is funny because, and the reason why I was laughing is because Joe Biden, you know, I mean, I love the guy, um, but they're yeah. desperately trying to... Uh, to make it sound like we're not yeah. in a recession. <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh, I'm <laughs> laughing so much. Oh, no. My camera. I'm up here. <laughs> yeah. <you're, there> <laughs> it went with you, girl. Like, it was good. It's like a puppy dog. It just follows me wherever I go. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, actually... Um, Joe Biden. So yeah, they, uh, so, so, so technically a recession is defined as any period where you have two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. 
So which we already have, yeah. Right. So so the mm-hmm. the the definition of a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. Now, he, there are some caveats to this. You know, right now, I mean, we had about 3 weeks ago we had a jobs date a jobs number and and so every I want to say every I want to say this not monthly, uh, maybe every couple of weeks we get a jobs number. And the last job number was supposed to be uh, and we basically add up nationwide how many new jobs were created and taken how many people started a new job and so that number I was i mean three or four weeks ago that was supposed to be through i want to say 200 and i want to say like two hundred and twenty thousand was the number and so okay. we we're all kind of waiting with bated breath is it going to be 198 because that means the economy is weak and the recession is going to keep going and the number came out and it was five hundred and twenty four thousand new jobs and so we all went, whoa, this is not a recession. How can it be a recession right. if you're adding half a million new jobs in a month? And mm-hmm. the problem is, is that often that type of data is very rear view mirror looking, right? So if you're starting a job today, that means that there was a hiring, there was someone, some executive said, I need somebody. They talked to HR and then they hired a manager and then the manager interviewed a bunch of people and then they finally gave someone a job. So it takes a long time. And a lot of this stuff is still sort of kind of baked into the, you know, into the market that, that we're qu- not quite sure about, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, l- let me say one thing. Um, you know, the, the thing <laughs> the thing that blows me away, because I've been doing this again 30 years and, and I'm old. I mean, I, 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 I remember the 70s and... Um, you know, inflation was a real thing. You know, I remember when mm. I was a kid and walking in and buying a candy bar and it, it was a quarter my entire life. And then one day I walked in and it was 50 cents. And then I blinked right, and a year right. later it was 75 cents. And then a year and a half after that, it was a buck 25. And so we went from a right. quarter to a dollar 25 in a handful of years. And so as a kid, I quickly understood what inflation was. Now, what's fascinating right. is that the average rate of inflation historically is 3.5%. And we've been, we've gone through a period. Lately, though, we've gone up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like insane amount. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm, yeah, go. But, yeah. but that's the thing is that, so what's interesting is, is that because um, the average inflation over the last 15 or 17 years has really been two, one, negative half, maybe three at, at a blink. Um, so we've gone through this very low inflationary in- environment and most of the folks who are your money manager, your financial planner, your, you know, your your banker, they, you know, they don't, they didn't, they weren't alive when we had 10% inflation. And mm-hmm. so right now, um, the li- most recent inflation report is 8.5%, and which is multiples higher, obviously, than the average. And mm-hmm. um, what's What's terrorizing the market right now is the prospect that we're going to go back to interest rates. Because anytime inflation's high, the government, the Federal Reserve, only has one real tool to basically, you know, clamp down on inflation, and that is basically to just make the cost of money much more, much greater. So imagine, right. you know, if you're going to buy a car and your car loan is, you know, four percent. I remember when they had zero percent car loans, you know, that were everywhere. Uh, but let's say on average you're paying 4% for that car loan. Well, what happens when that car loan isn't 4% and it's 14% like it was in the early 80s? So what that mm-hmm. means is is if you're on a fixed budget and your $600 car 
isn't 600 anymore. It's now 900 or 1,000 because of the cost of interest rates. Chances are you'll either not buy a car or you'll buy a cheaper mm-hmm. car. And all of a sudden, you can start to see every single element of our economy, mortgages and, and, and credit card bills that go to the department stores and, and Walmart. I mean, Walmart's seeing their numbers getting clobbered right now. And what that tells us is the consumer is looking at those high inflationary numbers and saying, you know what? I can't expend as much as I used to. And so if that's the case, when does that end? When does the consumer say... Right. I feel better about things. I'm ready to spend money. Right. And I'm going to spend. So was is that, just so I understand correctly, yeah. when you're saying with the Federal Reserve, their tool that they will use is to increase interest rates. And obviously, then the general consumer says, I need to be a little bit more conservative with my spending. I can't afford that, et cetera, et cetera. Right. How does that help? How does that help bring inflation down? Is it because then right. it's up to all these other businesses to say, okay, nobody's spending. We have to make it more affordable. Right. That's exactly it. So imagine that okay. you are you're looking at inflation and instead of buying, you know, the BMW, you go buy a Ford. And that's the key difference. So right. instead of literally right, I mean, instead right. of you spending seventy thousand dollars, you're gonna spend forty thousand or thirty thousand dollars. And or less or, even. Yeah, or less, yeah. right. I mean I'm in LA, so you know, seventy thousand is less. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> so but honestly that's that's it. And so when you see people you know, it Basically, that makes sense. I I, I understand right. that, that. I mean, the way, the, way you, the way you laid it out. Exactly. Yeah. So inflation is just those of us who are chasing the 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 average price based on those of us who are chasing goods and services. So if more of us mm-hmm. want more stuff, prices go up. If the demand right. goes down, the prices that's go supply down. and demand. And yeah. that's so they do have one additional component, which is during the OA crisis when the government basically was frozen and banks were frozen and. Um, they wanted to kind of stimulate the economy. The only way they could do it, because if banks weren't lending out money, how are we going to get people to start buying stuff again? And so what they did was they just, and I and I can only describe this as a simple way, and I can give you all the industry terms, but basically they just started printing money and throwing it out the window. I mean, that is literally what they did. Wow. And by flooding yeah. the market with cash. To stimulate the, exactly. the uh, economy. And so, but the yeah. problem is all that stimulation his basically they keep a, a record of it. So if you invent sure, a dollar, sure. it goes on the balance sheet and the Fed's balance sheet is right. nine trillion dollars today. And so if they unwind that nine trillion, that's gonna be money sucking out of the system and then that'll cause mm-hmm. that'll cause prices to come down. And so what we're all worried about is is how fast they're gonna do it. If they're gonna do it quickly, yeah. look out below the market right. gonna get clobbered. And so what the Fed is trying to do, they're trying to walk this little tight rope tight rope here. They're di- they're dipping their toes in the water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> essentially, you know, yeah. I mean, literally, and they say they they one week they say, hey, everything's great, and the next week they say, you know what, yeah. this is going to be awful. And I mean, literally, we had that. In and the they're back. like, brace yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let me ask you. Um, when we were talking about job growth, yeah. Let me ask you, you. You mentioned the most recent numbers that came out, and we were expecting them to be somewhere in the two hundreds. They ended up coming out in the fives, which, right? Which, right. which we then we all said, "Great, we're not. This yeah. can't be a recession, then, right?" right? But my question is, um, the I almost feel, and I'm not an expert, obviously, but I feel that the majority of those jobs are not high paying jobs. No. So how is no. that? How is that still going to? Um, stimulate or inspire consumer spending. Right. If people are getting, if people are, yeah, they're working, but then maybe they're working two and three jobs just to put the bare minimum of food on the table. Right. How does that, where is that, how does that all pl- come into play? 
You know, honey, I wish I had a great answer for you, but this is actually a structural issue that we've been facing really since the 70s. I mean, when you look at average incomes uh, relative to inflation, Mm -hmm. those numbers have been coming down my entire life. And and I see. And they haven't they're not getting better. So it's like when you look at what an income was in the 1970s relative and then you adjust it for inflation, the average person in America is making less than they've ever have. And what's worse is, is what this means is that the separation between the folks at the low end and the folks at the uh-huh. high end keeps getting that wealth gap. Yeah, it's and, and really, if you could tell me, you can give me an example as to why that's going to turn around anytime in the future, I, I would, I would, I would probably argue with you. Okay. Yeah. It's not a, it's so not a happy story, babe. <laughs> this is why we need so to save. There's, there's no, I love that you said there. Just so you know, there's no happy ending here. If you're not, if you're not saving, trust me, it, salaries right, aren't going up right. anytime a, soon. Give me a call. Cost is going up. <laughs> cost is going up, and salaries are going down. We're screwed. Exactly. No. <laughs> it's so it's sad. Oh my gosh. It's sad but true. So okay. So then, just let's get back to um some some saving uh stuff. Right now, 2022, we just had a, a lovely conversation about where the economy is and with inflation and with job growth, but uh, et cetera, et cetera, um, with interest rates going up. Is right now the time um, to be extremely conservative with our spending? I would think, in, in, let's put it this way, in the last 15 years, if I were going to find you know, a window, it would be 2009 and 10, and it would be right mm-hmm. now. Those would be the two periods where if you are worried today about what the future is going to hold, do I think the market's going to go higher? Yes. Do I think the the market's going to go higher from here? No, I do not. Um, And why, if you're not, if you're not in the stock market, if you're, you do not have a savings portfolio, why should you care? And the answer is because everything around us, when we lived through 08 and we lived through 2000, if you you didn't have anything to do with the stock market and still your life was completely upended from it. And so sure. Oh, sure. right now, now is not the time to go out and borrow a bunch of money and buy a fancy car or go on that trip to I Rome. See. It's now is the time to, as they say, choke up on the bat a little bit, try to prepare mm-hmm. for a, a rocky, you know, year or two and hope that things come back out on the other side. So right now, let's say you're not already in the stock market. Right. Um, let's not even factor in necessarily if you're living paycheck to paycheck or not. Let's, let's just say you just have like your standard checking and savings right. account, right? right? So with the, with where we are right now with inflation and the, um, textbook definition of a recession, what, uh, what are we doing? What's the best thing to do? Is it, is it just back to just keeping money every paycheck? Mm-hmm. Um, or is now the time to get into get into stocks are they potentially lower right now and then it's going to go up I, i'm not sure where, where are we at yeah. for somebody who's not sure what to do in this moment right so so usually and and so the historical averages for stocks and bond, i mean there's three asset classes stocks bonds and cash and then we can put like crypto sort of aside for a second over there yeah yeah, yeah. It, you know it should be a little pet piece she's over there yeah <laughs> she's over there so, you know so stocks tend to do really well when interest rates are modest right so imagine you're xyz corporation and you want to build a new factory and hire new employees and build new widgets you know if you're borrowing at one or two or three percent like you were in the last 10 years game on because mm-hmm. the, the bar for you the the hurdle that you have to 
to mm-hmm. make to be profitable is pretty darn low because the cost of money is one or one to three percent. It's so low. Right? Yeah. But yeah, now yeah. what's so we know that the Fed has pretty much told us and we the Fed has. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they, we were just a few months ago, we were effectively zero percent short term interest rates. That was where we were. And now we're at two mm-hmm. and a quarter. And most people think we're going to go something like three and a half to five, somewhere in that range. That's the short term. That's less than two years. So you figure. Okay. You know, an intermediate term bond, this is 10 years or greater. You're, you're probably going to get paid 6 or 7% from that at the end. So when you look at inflation, the average historical inflation is 3.5. Anything you can do over that in this type of environment, fabulous. Let's do it. The problem is, is that when the Fed basically printed all that money in, the, in post-08, they pushed interest rates way down, and then they just sat there. And so for the longest mm-hmm. time, the only game, the only thing you could do with your money was to buy basically um, assets that rose uh, as equity. So you would buy uh, stocks or real estate or artwork or wine or classic cars or anything that had like intrinsic, like you can feel it and touch mm-hmm. it and hold it. And that's that's yours. Um, however, right. when interest rates go back to something that's normal. You know, let's say a bond portfolio you can get six or seven percent for, which that's what I'm holding out for for many of my clients, you know, because this is money that this is the way we used to structure portfolios when interest rates weren't, you know, kind of, you know, had their thumb on it, the scale by the Fed. And so, yeah, yeah. So what I would say to people, which is let's 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 wait and start to build out a bond portfolio the split second we can. And because that's going to be coming in the next you know, when I think about this stuff, I, to me, a purchase that's coming up in a year, that's soon. And let's start to get ready for that, if that makes sense. I would not and that's be buying, you think- I would not be buying, um, we'll talk about Bitcoin in a little bit, um, but I would not be buying, you know, high flying growth stocks here. I think that those are the folks that are probably most likely, because often when you see a recession, you don't see things like advertising, because advertising is where Google makes all their money. Eventually, right. companies... As things start to tighten up, the first thing that they can do is cut their spending on ads. And so Google becomes kind of a canary in the coal mine um, for Mm. other types of businesses because that tells you where the economy is going. So look at their earnings, especially as it relates to advertisements, uh, advertisement spending going forward. The biggest challenge that I faced is often, you know, um, how do you get to folks within our community and sort of meet them where they are at? And because I, the industry and, and, and let me let me talk about this, because this is really important. So, you know, I was um, and for those of you who don't know in the audience, I am trans. And so for many, many decades, I mean, many, three, um, almost three. Um, to me, it <laughs> seemed, the like, way you it said seemed that. like many lifetimes. <laughs> um, you know, I was Stop. I was, you know, I was in the closet. I was hiding. And because. Sure. You know, really, there was no place for me in the business. There was, right. you know, when I looked in the financial services industry, that you know, eighty percent were men, ninety percent of them were port- uh, men, uh, portfolio managers were men, and and um, you know, there was no. Uh, let me let me give you an example. So my very first job uh, uh, it was nineteen ninety three, and I went into a Merrill Lynch office, and I sat down, and I was an assistant. I was kind of an intern, but I became an assistant. And at that office, there was 40 brokers, and 38 of them were white men. Um, okay. And then the, there was 16 assistants, 
and 14 of them were women and gay men. And that's the way the industry was. And so it became very obvious to me that if you want to be successful in Wall Street, you need to be a straight white man. A straight man. Yeah. Yeah. A straight white man. A a straight man for sure. Right. So. Yeah. Um, And so as a result, you know, growing up in the household that I grew up in where we didn't have a ton of money, I'm Hispanic and, you know, my, Mm -hmm. my grandmother cleaned houses for a living and worked in a pork factory. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it was, okay, you know, there is no backup. There is no family money. There's no trust. You know, you right. are just going to have to make this work on your own. And so right. um, I really put my transition on on the back burner because I knew that there was no job waiting for me when I transitioned. So I'd been in the business for 27 years, and I'm without without blaming anybody, um, I came out to friends and family, and within three months, I was fired from my job. And then, oops, oh, excuse me. And then when I and then I basically instantly pivoted and tried to move to, you know, the next job that was available to me. And you know, m- me being who I was, I was able to get a job at Goldman yeah. Sachs. Um, weirdly, yeah, yeah. And so I got there, and they took one look at me, all hormoned out, and they're like, "Who is this person?" Yeah. And um, <laughs> Honestly, I, I lasted for like less than a month. And I just said, you know what? I'm, this is not right for me because okay. the industry does not have a place for a trans woman. And mm-hmm. so I then I, I started LGBTQ Invest because I wanted a place for clients of folks like, like, like us, right? I wanted a yeah. place for them to confidently go and know that they were going to be seen for who they were. Um, and more importantly... I wanted a place that had a non sort of like, um, um, and I, I call it the nuclear family financial plan, but basically I wanted to build financial plans for people who basically had an unordinary life, right? You know, uh, and, and that's what I did. And the thing that's crazy mm-hmm. is I would talk to folks within the industry and often gay men, and I would say, hey, I'm starting a new company. I would love to talk to you about becoming one of our advisors. And they're like, well, the industry is already that welcoming to LGBTQ folks. And I said, oh, really? I said, you're like, says you. Yeah, I'm like, no. I'm like so let me ask you, how many of your bosses are gay? And I said, well, well, none. I'm like, okay, well, how many of your, how many advisors are trans? And they're like, well, none. And I said, mm-hmm. here's my card. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's talk yeah. Because this is not <laughs> constructive for us. And we need to have right. more representation. And even if it starts with me and then and there's 20 other firms that come behind me, great. Someone needs right. to do something somewhere. The end. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love all of this. I mean, I'm honestly just in awe of everything. <laughs> I... I so much respect and I'm so grateful for your time today. Um, I've loved this conversation and I'm just, I'm just, you're just so lovely. Thank you, Thank you so much for taking the time and, and explaining all that and breaking all that down um, for me and for the audience. And I just, um, I think that your efforts and what you're doing with LGBTQ invest is so admirable and I think it's so needed. And um and I'm and thank you. Thank you. Uh, just thank you Aww, for doing that. Thank so, you, babe. <laughs> tell everyone how they can get in touch with you or how they can work with you. Yeah. So I have actually two companies. I have CatherineSwain.com, which is basically my catch-all for everybody, my former clients, etc. But my real passion is LGBTQ Invest. That's LGBTQ Invest.com. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and from there, you can go on our website and submit just your name and number, and then we can schedule a meeting. And um, and really, first meetings are meant to be just kind of informative. You know, is this the right sure. place for you? Um, do we have anything to offer you? This is a big one because a lot of the time, folks come to me and they say, hey, I'm just starting out or, hey, I've got $100,000 and I want to build out a portfolio for retirement. And I'm like, great, here's where you're going to go. And I'm going to have you do this, this and this. And off you go. You sh- I should not charge you to do something that can take me 15 minutes. And so often that first meeting is making sure that that client is in the right place and the mm-hmm. solutions we offer them are the most efficient and effective for their for the resources they have, right? Don't pay a fee mm-hmm. to if you've got 40 years to invest. We'll set you up with a portfolio and off you go. Um, however, okay. if you are getting to a place Maybe you inherited some money, maybe retirement soon, maybe you want to buy a house, maybe you have kids that you want to put through college. That's when the things get a little more complicated, and that's when we'll build out a financial plan. And, and you make it more, obviously, customized right. for each person. Yeah, because each yeah. client is unique and different, and the way they feel mm-hmm. about volatility. I mean, when I say volatility, I mean, that's basically, you're going to lose money. The end. Mm-hmm. You know. Every single advisor will not tell you that you're going to lose money. At some point in your investing career, you're going to be down and you're going to want to have answers. And so Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for 30 years. And yeah, we're going to do our best not to lose money. But at any short time, you know, short period within the market, it happens. And and Mm -hmm. what we do to prepare our clients for that type of volatility that's what I mean, that's where we really make our money in my mind, because because really, yeah. it you know, it's where we started. We age 25, you put 100 bucks a month away. And it, when you're 65, you got a million dollars. That only works is if you keep putting that 100 bucks away a month and you never take it out. And so that's right. the trick. And that's where I come in because I I build portfolios that kind of smooth out the volatility and allow people to have mm. the 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 confidence to go to bed at night and know that they're not going to wake up and find out they've lost half their money. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. I love it. Well, Catherine, thank you so much. Honestly, it's just been such a joy yeah. and such a pleasure. <laughs> I can't wait to hang out, so, baby. I'm coming to Vegas. We're going to go. Do oh, 100%. <laughs> You are always welcome. Standing invitation. Love. You come to the Hey Girl Penthouse. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just, again, living for this background. I'm living for all these roses. I love, honey. It. I love it. I love it. That was so much fun. Uh, be sure to check us out at our website at heygirlpodcast.com. Girl is spelled with a U. And stay up to date with us as well on social media at Hey Girl Podcast. Thanks. Have a great weekend. 